this is a gentle movement, a lift and set. And then as it comes across, maybe I, like you talked about, I might want to speed that up again. So I'm just going to just gently lift and adjust that motion. And really that, that concept is a important one because a lot of times guys flip and, you know, kind of jerk the fly and fishing dry flies on the shoots. You learn really quick that that flipping motion you're going to do that exactly the moment the steelhead tries to come up and eat your fly and you can't get away from him, right? That was Rob Crandall describing how to properly mend the rod for steelhead. This is episode number 62 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Please take a moment and head over to wetflyswing.com slash subscribe and subscribe so you don't miss any of the upcoming uh, episodes of the show. In today's episode, I chat with Rob Crandall, owner of Watertime Outfitters and a winner steelhead master. We talk about his five-step process to catch steelhead, what the hover is and how it will put your fly at the correct depth and the perfect leader length. Rob goes into uh, detail on mending and breaks down some huge tips that may be a game changer for you this year. Don't miss this as Rob shares a cool little tip uh, to easily know how deep your fly is before you even get started on the water. So without further ado, here's Rob Crandall. How's it going, Rob? Hey, it's going great, Dave. Happy Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah, good to have you on here. This is uh, kind of prime time. We're, we're kind of in the steelhead season. Things are nice and cool. There's some snow on the ground out there. If you're you know heading over the hill, it's it's that time of year. I, I want to dig into a bunch of uh, winter steelhead tips and you know talk about what you do out there as a guide. And you've put you know I think you've been doing this for like 30 years, right? Or, or somewhere in the uh, sneaking up on it, believe it or not. Yeah, it's like uh, twenty six or so. Twenty six, yeah. So you're, you're getting close. So yeah, I want to jump into all that, but before we do, maybe you can just talk about how you first got into fly fishing, then how how that all came into like steelhead fishing. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, I I grew up uh, out near the town of Barton, if you can call it a town, uh, but it's right near the Clackamas River. And, uh, when I was about eight or nine years old, my buddy Craig, he got a fly fishing, uh, combo kit. And I thought, man, that is just great. I need to get one of those. And, uh, sure enough, I got one for Christmas and, and, uh, that kind of got me started. My dad really wasn't much of a fly fisherman, but he, he'd take us fishing now and then. And then being close to the, the Clackamas river with that fly rod was, was just the perfect, uh, starting grounds for me. One of my favorite memories with that old fly rod was was actually cracking that line like a whip and chasing <laughs> my sisters around out in the front yard. <laughs> nice, nice. So you, so yeah, so you the clack. I mean, and how old were you when you first got your rod, your first rod there? Oh, I think it was like eight or nine years old, somewhere okay. around there. Cool. So, so yeah, yeah, you got it early, and then, then how long did it take you before you were out uh, chasing steelhead? Well, that, that was quite a progression. Um, so, you know, as a kid, uh, I could run down the Clackamas. I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, there was also some ponds nearby, and I could, I, there was, they were just packed with bluegill and, and um, largemouth bass. So, uh, perfect testing grounds to get that rod bent. And then my first real job was uh, working for Larry's Sports Center, which was, uh, 
uh, a sporting goods store chain that was here in the, in the uh, Northwest. Uh, Larry Schoenborn had a bunch of retail stores and he had a fly shop and he had regular tackle and ski stuff and camping gear, that kind of thing. And, um, so I, I met one of my best friends there. He started the day before I did and, uh, we became fast friends and chasing steelhead, um, before work, after work, you know, mm-hmm. any chance that we could get. And, uh, Clackamas, Eagle Creek, uh, Sandy, the Salmon River, those are kind of home stomping grounds that we could, we could go and, uh, chase fish and, you know, I just, I had so many great experiences and he was really good at spotting fish. He grew up, uh, up near Estacada and, um, he, it was kind of like one of those bone fishing guides. The first time you've been bone fishing, you go out there and you don't see the fish and the guide's like mm-hmm. right there, you know, right there. And, uh, so standing, you know, next to him or looking over his shoulder, I learned a lot, uh, just to steelhead behavior and how they respond to your fly and how they don't respond when they're moving and not moving. And, um, so it was, it was really kind of just fantastic place for me to kind of get started with, uh, fly fishing and evolving into steelhead and working in, uh, a retail shop where guys are coming in all day long, they're telling their fish stories and, you know, they're kind of, you know, a lot of times they're conveying their secret spots and, you know, this spot's good or, you know, I didn't been out here. I haven't caught anything for a long time over yeah. here. So it really was an inspiring place. That's cool. So were you, and at Larry's, did they have quite a few guys coming in um, with, I know there's a lot of gear back there. There was, was it also a big fly uh, crew that came in there? Well, really, it was, uh, I think, Larry Sports Center. They had a fly shop, you know, and uh, the, it was fully decked out with Sage and Loomis and, and some of the best brands of the time. And there weren't a lot of other choices for fly shops at that time. I think you had Country store, country Sport down, down in Portland, um, you know, maybe uh, one or two others. But um, so they, they really were kind of a, a hub for the local community for as far as fly shops go. Yeah. And then, and were you back in the day when you first, I guess, and what, what year was this when you're kind of doing Larry's and out there hitting hard for steelhead? Oh, shoot. I was like 17 years old when I started there. So, you know, I worked there for a number of years and, and that kind of, um, get, got me started for, you know, I chased them around on the clock and I was like catching an incidental one, but that's really where I started hanging out with guys that were really good at it. Gotcha. And there were some old timers at the shop that kind of took me under their wing. They could see that I had a passion for it. And uh, they would take me out, um, show me their tricks. Um, and I remember I caught my first steelhead on the swung fly on the Clackamas River uh, on a fly that uh, a guy named Jim Colthurst uh, there at the show, he ran the fly shop for a while. Uh, he, he shared this pattern called the dust mop and it was this bright, you know, this blood red marabou and it was all marabou pattern and a lot of movement. And, and, uh, I remember, um, swinging that to summer steelhead on the Clackamas and actually seeing the fish kind of move to the fly and eat it. And that was just, you know, from that moment on, it was really kind of triggered that passion of the, of the swing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, and so I just think about the, the year again. So you're, let me make a, a guess. Are you, uh, are you 47 years old? How old are you? I'm uh, 
45. Okay, now. 45. That was a pretty, pretty close guess. So then we're talking, um, so yeah, you're, so, yeah. you're talking 30 years ago when you were kind of so roughly in the ni- early 1990s when you were at, at Larry's. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. Okay, yep. yeah. And um, yeah, and so the Swung Fly, what was the, so the transition, were you before that doing kind of a little bit of everything, nymphing, or was it, uh, you know, what were you doing? Oh, until yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, a, you know, purveyor of all things, you know, I was fishing. Um, and uh, I, I really feel like I've got a good um, depth of understanding of what's really happening out there because of the different strategies that I employed over the years. And, um, you know, it was kind of interesting. Um, so the, I grew up in Barton, which is right next to the Clackamas River, Barton Park. There was the old Barton store and Larry Ferguson there. You know, when I was a kid, I, you know, in my early teens, I would tie flies and he would, he would buy them. I don't know why, because they weren't that great, but he would buy flies for me. And then I'd be in this, in the store there and Larry was a crusty old hilarious guy. He always had a dirty joke for me, which was not good at that age, but he, he had this guy coming in named Jim Bradbury. And Jim Bradbury had moved from the East coast. He was a crappie fisherman back there. And he used these crappie jigs. We came out here on the Clackamas and he's using, and he started tying up these bigger, instead of crappie jigs, bigger marabou jigs. And those marabou jigs were absolutely deadly on steelhead. And that was really kind of when jig fishing kind of started. Uh, He was really one of the the guys that got that going here in the Northwest. Huh. And as a kid, I was just soaking up everything I could. And, and, uh, I remember actually, um, uh, skipping school and ended up at below river mill dam. Jim Bradbury was down there like every day. <laughs> and that guy, if he wasn't catching him on red, he'd catch him on black or he wasn't on black. He'd yep. catch him on, and, and he would consistently catch fish, you know, while he's down there smoking like a chimney. <laughs> so. That, that was kind of some of my early day stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to get a little bit into the, the spay, you know, two handed uh, game and talk about that little transition. But um, yeah, maybe before we get in to more of that, we can just talk about, you know, you mentioned the Clackamas a few times. Maybe you can just talk about how you get into, you know, winter steelhead on the Clackamas as far as, you know, how you either, you know, you or how you get your clients into it. Maybe some, maybe go through the process from, you know, you get on the river, what's the first steps, what are you using, rod, kind of that whole process and any tips you have along the way. Yeah, sure. Well, um, so my, my basic winter steelhead approach is, uh, is typically with a, you know, spay rod and, using my favorite is a seven weight um my favorite right now is the sage x rod it's a 12 foot seven weight is just awesome to cast and i'm going to put that load that up with a reel that balances that well um i've got a 525 skagit line on that and i've been using the grip shooter running line by rio mm-hmm. and uh, one thing i just throw out on reels i love that sage domain reel it's uh it's got a drag setting on it that has a numerical marker on it. So, you know, I keep mine at 2.5. I know that drag set just right for that steelhead crab. So, um, and then, so the gear is kind of where we start. Um, and, uh, you know, on the end of that, that skagit head, I'm going to have, uh, typically a 10 foot sink tip. And that's going to vary depending on what the water conditions are. 
Um, when I head out for the day, I kind of coach my clients in that there's, there's three basic things that'll help them catch more fish. Um, and, and kind of, boy, there's a lot of things that go into mm-hmm. it, but there's three things that you, you just kind of drill down that if they come to these three things, they're going to, they're going to be more successful. First of all is keep moving. And that's moving through the run. That's that cadence, that progression through the run. Um, I feel it's really one of the more important aspects that help trigger a response from steelhead. So that's one. Uh, two is manage your swing. And when I talk about managing the swing, I talk about how that fly is moving across. Think about how the speed of the water is influencing your line, how it's influencing the depth of your fly. Where is that fly at? How, how quickly is it moving? Is it deep? Is it shallow? Are you snagging up? So managing your swing, that may mean slowing your speed of the swing down. It may mean speeding it up. Um, and then the third thing that's just like the, the most difficult, challenging part of, of this winter stay strategy is that when you finally do get that grab, don't screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many times, right? Guys, you feel that tug and then they're so excited. There's this electricity that courses through you and then they give it that big yank and they pull that fly right out of their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you've been there before, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's that's the that's one of the hard things. Yeah, you get so excited, you gotta just take a take a moment. A lot of times, yeah, they'll they'll set the hook for you so it's not as big of a deal, but um but yeah, well, the hard thing is when you start getting the kind of a player on and it's just kind of messing with it. Um, you know, yeah. it might be a little more typical with summer steelhead, but yeah, that's the tough part is to like how, you know, how long do you wait? You know, what do you do next? What happens if you get a bump? You know, do you put the same cast back right. on and do you change a fly? I mean, there's all sorts of things after that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so you mentioned about moving through the water and how quickly and speed that I think that is a, it's a great point. And, uh, I think also a challenge because, you know, how does somebody that's out there fishing a run, say they're new to this run, they don't really know the depth of the run. They don't know how deep it is. When say a new person's out on a new run, how how would you coach them to, um, know that they're at the right depth? So that's, that's, that's the question, right? Um, and that's really why. Uh, I teamed up with Flyfish TV and we produced a 90 minute DVD talking about winter space strategies because essentially you can be out there on the water, winter steelhead fishing and casting your brains out all winter long and not catch a darn thing yep. because your fly is not in the zone. And so the, the water's cold, the fish are cold. I mean, it, it's, it's not uncommon for the water temperature to be in the thirties. You know, so they're not moving for your fly like they do for, you know, a summer steelhead. Come all the way to the top, throw spray in the air when they grab your fly. It's just, it's just not happening, right? So to be consistent with winter steelhead, um, we've got to get the fly down. I like to try to get at least half the depth of the water. Um, and I try to, I try to, um, uh, achieve what I call the hover which is essentially balancing your, your sink tip, your fly, uh, and your swing speed so that your fly can hover at that half the depth. So in other words, in contrast, you might have too heavy a sink tip, so you're ripping it too fast so you don't snag up. Yeah. Or too light a sink tip, and you, you're not getting down near the fish. So 
I kind of have a five-step approach where I, I um, have five different techniques that I'll utilize to get the fly where it needs to be, depending on the conditions. Um, but one of the things you can do, there's a really great um, starting point for that guy that's never stepped foot into that run before. Uh, wade out into the water, into that steelhead speed water, which is about walking speed, you know, 3.2 to 3.8 miles per hour. And, and with the sink tip and fly that you have, before you even make a cast, get the sink tip right at the end of the rod tip and hold that rod tip upstream from you right at the surface of the water. And what's going to happen is that sink tip's going to settle down in there and your fly's going to hang back and you should be able to see your, with a 10-foot sink tip, you should have your fly should come right about next to you. And you'll see if it's right on the surface. You'll see if it's just digging in on the bottom or if it's somewhere in between. So that's a really good starting point. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. And then and then I guess as you get into it, if, you, yeah, if you're hitting the bottom a lot, then you know you're, you're down too deep. And I guess there's going to be times where maybe you're seeing, you're able to see your fly too. So you can kind of see where it is. Um, no, that's a good point. And the DVD is another, um, I definitely watched uh, a good chunk of that DVD and had, um, in a past episode, uh, we talked about your, uh, that DVD and it, it is a good one. You, you go into a bunch of tips there. Um, I'm trying to find the, uh, the episode that I had, um, uh, re- remind me who the, uh, the producer of the, um, of, of the show, of your your DVD. Oh was. yeah, so so we did that with uh, Gene Herring of Flyfish TV, um, and uh, we also teamed up with uh, Dean Finnerty, a guy down on the Southern oh. Oregon, and Marty Shepard. Oh, and Marty. Okay. Yeah, yeah I had. Um, so I'm just looking at the uh, the notes here. I had Dean on in episode 19. Um, so that's definitely was a good one. He covered the North Umpqua. Uh, that was a good uh, a good one, and then uh, Gene um, had on in episode twenty three, and we talked about just all over. Oh, right of, on! Yeah, video production. So those were two good. I Great. actually had the first thirty episodes of this um, um, were, were mostly steelhead, so I'm kind of swinging back to you now that we're in a kind of winter time. Um, but yeah, so that that is a good a good resource for sure. And so now you, you talked a little bit about the water. You know, we talked about the water depth. What about you know, visibility and clarity. How do you, you know, when you get a river that maybe is uh, muddying up or it's not super clean, do you, do you fish it differently? How, how would you fish that differently than if you had kind of, say, the opposite, low and clear? So, uh, yeah, water clarity impacts us all winter long. And how we re- respond to that um, is really a, a indicator. Um, the clearer water, you know, water that's low and clear typically is cold. So often to me, that means, um, when the water's colder, the fish are not moving through the system as quickly. Um, lower water means that oftentimes I'm going to find fish lower in the river system. So it impacts, you know, what section of the river I might fish. And then it also, uh, is definitely going to impact you know, how I achieve that swing, um, with, the, and achieve the hover per se, um, by what sink tip I'm using, what flies I'm using and, um, how I approach the water. Um, when the water's low and clear, those fish are typically going to be in deeper little slots. Um, they're going to be places that they feel protected and more comfortable. And so 
how I literally walk up to the water can be an important aspect of my approach. Now, in contrast, when that water is up and, and either has a lot of green or is maybe it's blowing out. I mean, these are all winter long. I feel like a weather forecaster as yep. much as a fishing guy. Visibility has a lot to do with it. It also impacts how you move through the run. So if their visibility is reduced, I'm going to, I'm going to make a uh, shorter distance between casts. So I might just one step it instead of two stepping it yep. or I might two step instead of three. Um, so that makes an impact. Uh, and, and I also feel it that, you know, when that water's up, it's typically warmer. So you can watch, uh, water temperatures when we get a good rain, the water temperatures usually spike and that also those fish are more aggressive. They're moving, they're going to move to that fly. Um, and so I can tend to get away with, I feel brighter flies. Um, okay. a lot of people kind of do opposite yeah. darker and darker water. But I, I've had some of my biggest and best fish, big, bright flies in that water where it's just shifting in that green, you know, from brown to green and just starting to get that visibility where um, they're just aggressive yeah. and just hammer it. So a bright, yeah, it's bright red or, or pink or something like that. Yeah, so one of my favorite patterns in that situation is um, one that Aquaflies is making for me now. It's It's called the Guide's Choice. And it's, uh, it's got like pink and cerise, uh, ostrich hurl, uh, fl- a flame orange rabbit fur, um, a really a bigger bright fly. And, um, one of my favorite memories of that fly was fishing it on the Clackamas on a day, like, just like we're talking about where the waters that, you know, just shifting into that beautiful green, but it's been brown and it's on the high side. And I'm swinging down through this run, and I feel this little peck. And mm-hmm. I swear it's a, like a cutthroat. I'm like, go, mm-hmm. you know, go away, little guy, you know. And then, then the little peck goes to a tug, and the tug gets a little heavier, and it keeps swinging, and the tug gets heavy. And finally, mm-hmm. it's on, and it landed this, it was 37 and a half wow. inch wild buck. All, all on the off. same, that was on the same swing? It was like multiple taps? Yes. Yes. Cool. He was moving with it. The fly's moving across. The first one's just a peck, and then it gets a little bigger tug, a little bigger tug, and then it all comes tight. That's pretty cool. How, how often do you have, and that was a winter fish? Yes. How often do you get those where those winter fish are kind of the, the real active players? Well, what I find with winter fish, um, I, I find that it's actually pretty common to have multiple tugs, but I would say I would, I wouldn't categorize it as a real active player. Um, in say in contrast with one on the Deschutes, right. um, and how they move to that fly. Uh, I, I feel like the water's colder and they're just responding a little slower. And so that's just kind of a soft tug, another soft tug. It's not like a heavy rip, you know, it's, yeah. it's just tug, okay. tug. Yeah. He's got it. He's got it wait till it all comes tight nice nice so it's 37 inches so you're in the uh maybe the upper teens 20 pound fish something like that yeah yeah it was a really nice fish i don't remember i didn't i don't think i measured the curve yeah gotcha um, do do you use on, on the fly going back to the you mentioned the bright flies do you also go do you have a certain rule of thumb for increasing your size with water that isn't as clear and muddy or you know like we're talking 
Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, it kind of depends on the fishery that I'm fishing. Um, but uh, winter steelhead in general, you know, we, we can go up to, you know, maybe four, four and a half inches would be a big fly yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, three and a half is kind of a standard size. And then as the water, say, on the contrast, the water's low and clear, uh, I tend to go smaller and darker flies. Okay. Okay. And, um, and you mentioned aquaflies. I'll have at uh, wetflyswing.com slash 62. I'll have links to some of your patterns so people can take a look at these, but oh, um, yeah. So how does, yeah. the, so the aquaflies, I've never talked about that really. Is that, how does that work with that company? They, so they, you give them patterns or, you know, t- and then they tie your flies and you get kind of a percentage off the flies. Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, the old saying is what does a fishing guy do with a million dollars? It keeps guiding till it's gone. <laughs> well, it's it's going to be a long. I need guys to buy a lot of these yeah. flies before I ever get there. That's right. <laughs> you know, like three cents a fly adds up uh, very slowly. That's true. Um, That's true. But uh, yeah, so it's just kind of a typical royalty type agreement, like uh, Umqual and some of the other companies do. Um, and and some of my my favorite patterns, and they they reproduce them. They do an awesome job. They use good quality materials and yeah. And make a great product. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. I do have a, there's definitely some guides and people that are interested in, you know, kind of the fly fishing, the business end of it. So I think, you know, some of that stuff, just knowing that there's, you know, different options out there is, is cool. So, um, and you, and going back to your five steps, so you mentioned your five step process. Did I can't remember if we kind of, do you want to clarify again quickly what those five steps are? And that was for, maybe you can clarify. Sure. Yeah, go, go through that one more time. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, so when I think about winter steelhead fishing, um, you know, as a fishing guide, uh, my job is to produce consistent results for, for guys with a fly rod. And, and that's probably one of the most difficult jobs there is, you know, it's summer steelhead's one thing, trout's another thing, you know, we can go out and catch fish every day, but to produce consistent results on winter steelhead, you have to do things a little different. And um, so this kind of five-step strategy is kind of the formula that I've worked on that really helps you get your fly deeper and be more effective during the winter months. Because, you know, the the fact of the matter is um, 90%, or excuse me, um, 90% of the, of the grabs that we get when on the swung fly is the last one third of the swing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that means like a huge percentage of the time that we're fishing, it, it's not, we're just not hooking that many fish. So for me, I'm thinking, well, why is that? And you know, well, the fish might have followed it from the middle of the river and he decides to grab it as it gets closer to the bank, that kind of thing. That yeah. That's one trigger. Okay. I get that. But that, it doesn't account. I mean, it's a huge percentage. So in my mind, the other thing that correlates is, is when, when is your fly deepest? Okay. Mm-hmm. When you cast it out there, it hits the water. And then as it comes across in the swing, it's slowly getting deeper. Well, it's deepest at the end of your swing, right? You let it hang too long. You're snagged up. So, in my mind, those two things correlate. The success of our swung fly is most of those fish are grabbing it at the end, towards the end of the swing, like that last third of the swing. 
Well, why not get the fly deeper earlier in the swing? So this, this strategy kind of helps um, facilitate that. It gives us tools so that we have um, an arsenal to be more effective during the cold water time of year. So the first step is cast swing step. This is just the standard. This is what everybody does, right? And when I have guys show up, he's talking about trying to be successful during the winter and produce results. If I, I have summer steelhead guys come, they use their summer steelhead tactics. Sometimes it works, right? Yeah. So cast swing step, that's where we start. And if the conditions are right, the water flow is right, the depth is right, and the sink tip happens to be right, that's all we need. But this is the Northwest. So conditions are changing all the time. We're on waters, you know, that vary. The runs are all different. Um, so how do we get that fly deeper? So step two is what I call the mend and hold or the German strategy, mend and hold, right? <laughs> so this is the adjustment where we start to adjust our swing instead of just throwing it out there and hanging on. The mend and hold is where we make a mend, hold that rod tip for a moment, allow that line to straighten out, and then we steer the fly across. So this kind of comes back to the three basic tips to success, manage your swing. So mend and hold, make that mend at the front of the 45, allow that fly to come, the line to straighten out, and then then steer it across. And then when I do that, instead I'm, I'm managing the swing speed versus just throwing it out there and kind of hoping for the best. My goal with the swing speed is to get it to go even swing from where it starts to where it stops. So that means I'm slowing it down a lot when it's in that fast water I throw out in the middle. And then I'm I'm often I'm speeding it up a little bit at the end Mm -hmm. instead of just letting it stall out and kind of grind into the rock. So that's where we kind of keep that, that concept of our swing momentum in mind. Gotcha. So if you're, so that's step two. That's step two. So if you're in the, so say river left, you know, you're looking downstream river left, you're on the, uh, the left side, uh, the water flows going from right to your left and you make that 45 cast out there and you do a say, I mean, I guess you might do an upstream or a downstream mend depending on the situation, but when, when might you do an upstream mend? Um, I, I guess if, if you're trying to get it down, when, when would you do that? Most of the time I'm mending to the upstream side. Okay. And so what we're, what we're doing with that mend, you know, think about it in a, in angles, right? So, um, the line starts kind of starts into the swing at the 45 degree angle. And you're looking downstream, it's 45 degree angle out into the river. There's an angle to the line that current's pushing against that angle. Now, if you mend and reposition the line, so it's more parallel to the current. That, that when it's parallel, it's going to move more slowly. And when it moves more slowly, your fly gets deeper. Yeah. So that's going to drop it. So, so most time you're, you're doing it, uh, mending upstream, but then once you make that mend, depending on the current, say you, you're going in a faster section that goes into a slower section, you might change the, the hold angle to, to change what that fly yeah. is doing. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, and when we're, when I talk about a mend, um, it, it's very different than say a trout mend where you kind of do a little flip, you know, this is a gentle movement, a lift and set. And then as it comes across, maybe I, like you talked about, I might want to speed that up again. So I'm going to just, gonna just gently lift and adjust that motion. And it really, that, that concept is a important one because a lot of times guys flip and, you know, kind of jerk the fly. 
And fishing dry flies on the Deschutes, you learn really quick that that flipping motion, you're going to do that exactly the moment the steelhead tries to come <laughs> up and eat your fly and you yep. can't get away from them, right? Yep. Um, gotcha. Okay, so that's step two. Then what's uh, step three? Okay, so step three is, is where we kind of really more moving away from just the basic cast wing step approach. And this is a simple adjustment. So with step three, we're simply making a cast. Then we step down with it, allowing the fly to settle in and then make the swing. So we're just changing the order of things. So cast. Um, by doing that, it allows that fly to kind of settle in. Again, our goal is to get the fly deeper earlier in the swing, expand that zone of success, the wider zone, and, and get the fly deeper. So the key with this technique is good traction. Um, for me, then nothing beats the corkers, the big spikes. That's mm-hmm. what I use. Um, unless I'm in my raft or my yep. buddy, you know, really beautiful wood drift boat, <laughs> that good traction is imperative to actually make this work. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and so yeah, the cast then step down is different from the step down, then cast and swing the, I mean, basically the opposite. Right. Yeah. So we're just changing the order of things. So essentially we've made the cast, the fly is in the water and we're, then we do our step down with that fly in the water. And sometimes I'll even time that so that it's, it's the step down is kind of allowing that fly to settle in at just the right time. So let me give you an example. You're fishing through this beautiful run. It's kind of top of the run. It's got a fast, hard riffle as it, and that flattens out in the sweet run. Well, when you throw it into that fast, hard riffle, if you do the step down as it's in that heavy stuff, it's really not impacting the depth of the fly. If you do that step down, you do it right as that fly is coming off of that fast water, just getting to the edge of the could-be steelhead water. So timing is, a, is an aspect of that that helps you finesse and get that fly where it needs to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So you're, so you're not necessarily, again, it's not one of those things where you're just doing the same thing every time you might be, depending on what's going on with the currents out there, you might be stepping down at a later in the swing. I mean, you might, you might make a cast, let it swing halfway and then step down and then let it swing the rest of the way. Yeah. I rarely move down much once it's really into the swing. Yeah. Um, I'm more like if it's that edge of that heavy, heavy current, because once you're stepping down as it's swinging, um, you're, you're really kind of, um, it's more difficult to be consistent. So with this strategy, all the, all the five steps that I, I like to employ, the line is more or less under tension. And the, the whole goal is to get that fly at the right depth on the swing. So if you're stepping down while it, you know, kind of in the middle of the swing, it's really kind of, it, it's just less um, predictable where that fly is going to be. Gotcha. gotcha. So okay. it's just the first part, right? As it's just coming off that fast water, I might do a quick step down, but it's, you don't want to be halfway through the swing no. in, in my experience no. okay. uh, and stepping down. Okay, cool. Then, uh, and then step four. Okay. So four and five is, this is where our on-water strategies classes that we teach are, are is a whole lot easier to uh, illustrate oh, yeah. than to describe. But essentially what I'm doing uh, on step four is what I call the slip swing. And the slip swing is I make that cast, uh, and I might throw just, just above 45, 
so that as it starts to straighten out, I'm going to make a mend. But when I make that mend, I've got some extra line reserved that I have not casted out. And it's enough line that I can move the rod tip from 45 degrees downstream to 45 degrees upstream. Okay, so I've made the cast. I'm just going into the mend as, it, as the fly's hitting that 45-degree angle downstream for me. Slip that extra line out so the rod tip position is now upstream. And then as it's coming into the swing, I'm lowering that rod tip yeah. down and then bringing it across. Cool. So again, winter steelhead, the water's cold. The idea is get the fly deeper earlier in the swing. Yeah. So the next step is just kind of a, a further iteration of the slip swing. And I call it the slip step swing. And essentially, I'm doing the same thing. I make that cast. I have some extra line I slip out, changing the rod tip position to from 45 downstream to 45 upstream. And then as I lower that rod tip down to the swing point, I'm also stepping down. So that allows you to really settle in the fly and swing it across. Now, I'll, I'll do like a... I do some classes where we go out on the, on the water and we show all these five different strategies. And as I go through them, invariably with that last one, I'm going to snag up. I'm going to hit the bottom. Um, it's, it's not one that you would use all the time, but it's a tool that you have in your quiver to utilize at the appropriate time. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So basically you're, just trying to, yeah, again, getting back to that depth, trying to get down to the right depth, depending on the water. And the, yeah, those are good, definitely good tips. I think people, if they haven't heard about those, can implement those, you know, this winter for sure. That's um, that's good stuff. Well, is there, I guess, um, you know, I've got a f- number of different questions here, but anything else you want to hit on as far as depth or swinging speeds? I think we, we covered a good chunk of it there. Um, I guess the only other thing I would throw out is that, you know, as you go through a run, um, you might change your strategies and that's why, you know, having the five different tools in your quiver per se, you know, top of the run, you know, you might need to do cast step swing and then you might just switch to cast, uh, cast swing step as it, you know, as it mellows out. Or if you're say on this beautiful run on the Kilchis river and that deep green slot is on the far side. And you know that when you cast out over there, your flies at the shallowest, it doesn't get deep till it gets on the gravel bar by your yeah. feet. So that's where that slip swing might be utilized. And so yeah. just kind of utilizing the different tools at different times. And and a lot of it, you can adjust by the sink tip and the fly alone. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, making slight adjustments with gotcha. these different techniques. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. we might have, if we have time, we'll talk a little more about the sink tips and things like that. But, um, you, you mentioned the rod, the 12 foot, uh, seven weight. Do you typically use, is that kind of your all around rod? And is there a, like how big of a fly will that rod handle as big of a fly as you want? You mentioned the four and a half inch fly. Is that, is that, uh, is it, can you throw the, the monster stuff? No problem with that. Well, I can, but uh, you know, if, if the guy, I, I'm comfortable throwing pretty much whatever on the T14, the big fly. Um, it, it works just fine. Yeah. Um, but if your timing's off, you know, with the really big stuff, um, you know, a 13 and a half foot rod might be a little easier to, uh, to, to throw those out. Um, but that 12 footer is just kind of my favorite, just kind of all around, um, steelhead, um, for most conditions. Gotcha. Gotcha. And the, and the, um, back to that sinking line. So is the, 
that 10 foot, that typical line, is that a T14 or is that a lighter uh, sink tip you're using? The, the kind of the all around. Um, so, yeah, so most, if I was going to say I have one sink tip, it would be a T11, mm-hmm. uh, 10 feet long. Um, but the fact of the matter is conditions change so much throughout the winter. Um, I'm going to use a wide variety of sink tips depending on the day and the water levels. Um, and I, anywhere from say, um, <laughs> from say like, uh, uh, the Mo tips where you've got a five and a five of T11, five feet of T11, five feet of intermediate. Um, up to say like a 10 foot T14, there's a wide range that those, uh, can accommodate. So on any given day, uh, depending on what the water conditions are, I might be using one of those, but my main one's a T11. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, getting back to, I guess I had a few other questions here, just kind of random ones. Um, you know, we're talking about the Clackamas river, which is a fairly good sized river. I mean, what would you say is the average kind of width of the channel across uh, the uh, fish uh, run you're fishing on the clack. Oh man, the river itself is, you know, 100, 150 feet wide in a lot of places. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty good sized so, river. So it's a big sized river. And are you, and I think you also fish some, some of the smaller coastal rivers. Well, you mentioned the Kilches, but uh, there's a few other small ones. Do you, on the smaller ones that say are maybe they're only 50 feet across, are you still swinging with the same, same sort of techniques? Uh, yeah, same strategies. Um, I'll, what's kind of fun to do on the smaller waters is to switch to a, uh, switch rod. Uh, so my favorite there is, uh, uh, 11 foot seven weight, uh, Sage makes. I love their little X rod. It's super light. It's really responsive. I can have, um, alder trees hanging over me and moss dripping water in the back of my neck and, you know, just still firing little bullet cast, um, underneath the trees. And in those smaller waters, you're not necessarily worried about how far you can cast or covering the run. You're more worried about catching the branches on the other side of the river, you know? So it, it kind of adds a whole different concept to your swung fly casting, you know, spay casting is how tight is my loop yeah, there? That's right. Yeah, that is. Challenging. So, so basically, yeah, you're, you're swinging even when you get super small. As far as a uh, when you get the wetted width down pretty small, what what's you know if you do get a fish on one of those smaller rivers or maybe just in general, how, how do you land that fish? What, any tips on landing a, a steelhead? Uh, yeah, so just just in general, when it comes to catching a steelhead on a spay rod, what I find is a lot of customers of mine, you know, they they might not be putting enough bend in that rod. Uh, you know, having that rod bend, good parabolic bend is really important. Um, and then having your drag set appropriately. So sometimes guys have their drag set too tight and the fish starts taking off, the rod flattens out. If the rod's flattening out, you know, there's too much tension, too much drag. If, if the, if the drag is too light, it can be problematic as well. So the fish rips out line and the rod's bent and then it kind of surges back up, you know, to, straight starting to kind of straightening out that can cost you fish so having your drag set appropriately is really important and then once you, you've got a hot fish trying to keep that distance short um you know if if you're weighted out waist deep into a run and the fish is ripping down into your backing it's time to get to shallower water where you're more much more mobile 
you can move quickly if you have to get downriver because the farther they are downriver, especially with these big Skagit lines that we're using to make casting so easy, well, it's also, you know, that makes it easier for fish to get away because right. there's a lot of drag on those lines. So those are a few tips I would draw gotcha. for gotcha. You know, fighting fish. Okay. Yeah, and I was thinking I was just watching something that Ed Ward had on there. And I, I've never really done this before uh, purposefully, but he was showing he had this fish that he was landing. And basically, as he got it in, you know, this is towards the end, you know, if you're not using a net. He basically loosened up on his drag, and then as he as the fish gets in, you know, within 15 or feet or so, he just pulls up on the rod and basically strips out a bunch of line. And then he just goes up and the fish is kind of laying there and he grabs the leader and, and kind yeah. of, it pulls it in, you know, and, uh, is that something that you've uh, either seen or done or, or think that's, uh, uh, just kind of a unique thing. Cause I always think like, well, I, I probably don't want to grab the leader on that steel because it just takes one head shake and he's gone. <laughs> but do, do you typically grab the yeah. leader, grab the leader at times? Well, first of all, I wouldn't, I would never argue with that board. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's good for um, personally you know when i'm guiding i to be honest with you i i use a rubberized net mm-hmm. and i really feel that that is the best for the fish because one i can get them handled much more quickly yeah um when you're trying to uh tail a fish especially a beginning angler um that doesn't know how much pressure to put on a fish you're kind of over exhausting these fish. And so I find that a net really makes, makes it much quicker on the battle. It's better on the fish. The rubberized mesh uh, doesn't hurt them. I get them in the net. They calm down, grab their tail, turn them on their side and get that hook out and on their way much, much more effectively than when you're wrestling with them along the bank without a net, it's it's more of a challenge. Now, granted, I don't carry a net when I go fishing by myself, yeah. right? So, um, you know that's that right. that's that's another challenge. What I what I tend to do when I'm say landing a fish by myself, you got a 12, 13 foot rod. That's a long rod to be dealing with a fish, right? Yeah. So the appropriate amount of line out is really important. Um, I see beginner guys go bring in way too much line. They, they, you can't get to the, <laughs> no, nope. leave enough line out so that, that fish can, uh, you, you can slide it in right in front of you. What I like to do is kind of kneel down, kneel down behind the fish, kind of bring his nose in towards the bank. If he's tired and it's appropriate, he's on his side. I'm going to grab his tail and that grip on the tail is everything. Um, it, it, if you do it right, you can control that fish. You're going to, he's going to thrash around much less in the water. And, um, it, it's, it's just all, all around much better. So what happens a lot of times is guys that don't know, they're going to grab that tail like a baseball bat and, and it, it kind of folds the tail and it will squeeze out and you just don't get a good grip. But you think of the tail there's kind of a knuckle right before that, that caudal fin curves up into the tail. And if you pinch down on that tail, more like a vice grip comes down or, or like a pipe bench, you know, it comes down top and bottom, uh, straight down. And if you pinch that way, there's some magic to that grip and you can get a really good solid grip on those fish. So yeah, those are a couple things that I, I feel are really important about landing fish. 
you know, if at all possible, when I'm landing a fish, I don't grab the leader. Um, you know, when I was first guiding, I remember doing that a few times and that's when things go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's right. That's right. There's no longer the shock absorption of the rod tip. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, the funny thing is I mentioned the Ed Ward thing. This was from, I think the Skagit, one of the Skagit master videos. And he, uh, the funny thing was, is that fish broke him off when he, when he grabbed the leader on video. Oh, it did. Yeah. It was hilarious. And the other thing that was funny about that is that, cause I hadn't, I never watched, um, I never really watched the Skagit master. You know, I was kind of a little bit late to the spay game and sort of stuff, but, um, but it was interesting because okay. that day, I think they had been talking, at least on that video, they had fished nine days without touching a fish. And, uh, you know, and they finally got this fish, which he lost. But, you know, it just shows you again for the beginner out there or anybody that, you know, one of the great, right, the great steelhead fishermen, you know, they're, those guys are out there for nine days without touching a fish. So, you know, it, it, that yeah. stuff can happen too. Uh, that can happen as well. Yeah, and that's, you know, that that's a really interesting inflection point on, you know, on today's our fisheries, our fish runs. Um, this year, a lot of our runs seem to be, numbers seem to be on the downside. Um, and so, you know, for anglers to have appropriate expectations when they go out and, and fish, it's the swung fly strategy is the hardest way to do it. Yeah. And as a fishing guide, um, you know, I can, we can get them if they're there. Yeah. If there, there are no fish there, they're all, that's right. How, you, you don't you don't get them. How do you how do you do that when you have those days that are? Um, I mean, obviously you're a teacher as well, so people are learning things. But is that a pretty uh, a good struggle for you when you have those days when you're not getting into fish? Yeah, I mean any any day you're you're you know struggling to find fish is is always tough on a on a fishing guide in some ways. But you know that. I think it's, it's about kind of managing expectations. You know, if, if a guy goes out and he's never cast a spay rod before and his expectation, he's going to catch five fish. Right. He's, you know, he, he's in the wrong boat. Um, but if he's going to look at it as, Hey, I'm going to go out, I'm going to learn how to cast this thing and deliver and, and how to swing and manage my fly as it swings across. Um, he's going to have a lot better day. Um, and then you get a fish, it's a bonus. You know, for for me personally, my goal is to start with one fish per client every day. You know, that's where we start, mm-hmm. and and that's um, and sometimes or a lot of times that means I'm I'm coaching that guy because he's got his summer steelhead strategy full on. You know, he's not employing the winter techniques, or you know the the conditions warrant a certain thing, or his cast is not getting the fly out there. Yeah. You know, um, and that's kind of all where it starts. You've got to be able to get the fly out there. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, one other note, just on the the fly setup, um, are you typically using? I know the the barbless and barbed hook, um, you know, um, debate is is out there. Do you use typically try to use barbless flies, or is that something that you think about a lot? Uh, it isn't something I think about a lot. Um, because steelhead for one, or, I mean, <laughs> this is my personal opinion. They're hard enough to catch as it is. Yeah. Um, and when you unhook a steelhead with a micro barb, so, so for example, I'll use the, uh, the aqua flies, which they have a new barbless fly, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, or I use the gamakatsu octopus style yep. hook, yep. um, which is a small barb and, um, generally speaking, I can get that hook out just fine without damaging the fish, but I also have some confidence in knowing that 
it's going to stay on a little better. Um, now there, there are times when you hook a fish every now and then, um, you hook a fish and it just takes it in the gills and there's really nothing you could do about that, whether it's barbed or barbless. Um, you know, they estimate that it's like 3% mortality on sport caught fish, Mm -hmm. um, from the studies that have been done. And so I think there are some things that we can do to minimize our impact there. One is, uh, when we're using stinger style flies, uh, if we position those flies, and you'll notice all five of the patterns that Aqua flies carries of mine, they have a small lead eye on them. It's kind of your classic intruder yep. concept is that lead eye helps the hook ride a certain way. So um, it orients the hook point to the upside of the of the fly pattern. So if it's tied correctly, in my mind, that's going to, one, it's going to help you reduce the amount of snags that you get. Um, if your hook point is down, you're going to snag up more and lose more flies. But two, and most importantly, is by having the hook point oriented up, you're reducing the amount of hookups that actually end up in the gills. So that's an important part of of just, you know, taking responsibility for the pattern that you're using. Um, I've also seen where guys tied a stinger hook on there, it's too long, and that stinger hook gets back in places you don't want it to. So the, the fly position, how the hook orientation is on the fly, um, that can make an important difference in uh, our uh, successfully releasing wild steelhead. Yeah, that, that is a, those are good points there. And I was just thinking back, trying to uh, find the episode here. Uh, yeah, so uh, Scott McGarva in episode 17 made that same point about the stinger hooks. In fact, I think he might have even said he doesn't, really use those anymore just because so many people are yeah their their hooks are way too long and um it's it's defeating the purpose of the whole idea of what, again what ed ward and those guys created when they first started that um th- that style of fly so so cool well those are good points I, I did want to touch on one other thing too on as far as leaders can you talk about i had this question in the audience as far as you know, whether you're using an intermediate, uh, full, like sinking, kind of getting down and dirty. Um, is your leader the same or are you changing that up for winter steelhead? Um, so when it comes to uh, the leader that I use off the end of the sink tip, um, I, there's several keys that are that go into that. One, um, I'm using a heavy enough, stout enough line that, that I'm not going to worry about it breaking off. So I'm typically using like 12 pounds. Um, and then two, and, and most importantly, it, it's short. Um, if, if you tie on your nine foot tapered leader that you use on your dry line on the Deschutes river, um, you're going to catch very few winter steelhead, um, because the mass of the fly, the sink tip pushes it down, right? But the mass of that fly resists going down and resists sinking. And the longer the leader is, the less effective your sink tip is. So I keep most of my leader lengths uh, off the end of the sink tip, about three feet long. Oh, yeah. That's all you really need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's surprising how short you can actually <laughs> catch them. I had a guy who was, uh, you know, two clients and I'm with one guy and the other guy snagged up or something, lost, lost his fly, lost part of the leader, just tied on another one. It was only like maybe 15 inches long. Right. <laughs> And he's fishing away, hooks a fish, and I run down there to help him land his fish. And I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> he's got a foot or 15 yeah. inches of, 
of leader off the end of a big dip. Nice. So. Nice. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, three feet. That's definitely nice and short. That, but that that makes sense. And are you with your flies? Are you you've got a little bit of weight uh, on the end? Is but you're not necessarily weighting these flies. Other than that, no, I'm I'm not. Um, I I typically will use a small lead eye, but I'll have really a wide. I, I keep a range of patterns um, to kind of help me fine tune where that fly sits in the depth of the water. Um, so low and clear, I've just got, you know, unweighted flies, um, you know, in heavier water, I might have the slightly larger, um, but I like having that small lead eye to help orient that hook point if at all possible. But there's days where that, even that's just too much. Yeah. Well, I will throw out the other the other thing that I do when it comes to that leader and fly connection is I almost always am using a, a loop knot to tie that fly on. I think it's just one of those little you know, million of little details that add up to our success, and this is just one of them. Um, the loop knot, I use the lefty's loop knot, which is a fixed loop knot that allows that fly to just dangle and move and dance and a little bit more animated in the undulations of the current underneath so that, you know, it's just, to me, it, I think it just adds a, that little bit more allure, a little bit more draw that gets those fish to grab that fly. Uh, so, yeah, so I always have kind of the two, two and two, which is like the top two flies, top two tips and top two resources that you'd recommend. And you mentioned a couple of flies. Can you uh, highlight those again? If you had to pick two winter steelhead flies. Well, if I had to pick two winter steelhead flies, um, I would tell you that my provider, the Crandall's provider by Aquaflies is just absolutely, it rocks them. It's, it's a great pattern. Um, that one. And then, um, the other one would be the devil's candy. Okay. Um, I've got more, more steel, more steelhead on those two patterns than probably anything else. Um, just, just deadly. Perfect. Perfect. And then do you have a couple, uh, you've talked about some tips already here, but any other general uh, winter steelhead tips for somebody? Um, you know, kind of a general one would be, uh, uh, keep your hooks sharp. You know, we're, we're working to get that fly down a lot of times. So actually we hit some rocks now and then, and, uh, you know, you might work so hard for a fish to grab and then you you find out your hook was dull is really a bummer. So, Mm -hmm. You know, the difference between uh, a good story and a great photo, sometimes it's just a sharp hook. So yep. that that would be one. Um, the other tip I would throw out there would, would be, you know, it comes to, you know, catching them on a spay rod. Really do yourself a favor to get a good spay casting lesson. Um, the more efficient you are at the casting end of things, just the more effective you're going to be with um, with catching winter steelhead. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, that's a good point. And then, and then what about resources? You have some resources, obviously you mentioned your videos and some stuff there. Is there any other resources you would, you would recommend for somebody that could be online um, or local or anything? You know, an, another thing that we do, that's really a great, um, a very effective way to learn a lot about, um, winter steelhead is we do some winter, uh, steelhead workshops. Uh, we do one on the Clackamas and we do one on the Tillamook area rivers and basically shows you where to go, um, how to do it and, uh, you know, what techniques to utilize, go through the on water session with the techniques that we talked about today. 
and uh, really give people a lot of good tools for success. So mm-hmm. but those are some really great affordable classes that be uh, very valuable for folks. Gotcha. Okay. No, those are good. And, uh, and you have, so is the, uh, what would you say is the, the piece of work that you've done that uh, you're kind of most proud of or something that is, is the most useful for people? Is, is, would it be a video or something else? Uh, I'd say probably the winter space strategies DVD. Yeah. Um, you know, it really kind of changes the game a little bit from, you know, the, so many anglers out there accustomed to the summer strategies and they try to implement that during the winter and they get, you know, frustrated or they don't even do it anymore. They get so frustrated and don't find success. And I think that that, um, that DVD is one of the ways that, that you can educate yourself and really find some more effective tools to have uh, when it comes to winter uh, steelhead fishing with the spay rod. Okay. And did you have, you know, over the years you mentioned, uh, you know, Larry sporting goods and things like that. Is there some people that you would consider mentors that helped you, uh, you know, up your game or get to where you are today? Yeah, there sure are. I mean, there's, there's a ton of different guys that over the years, um, you know, spent time on rivers with me and really coaching me and, and, uh, you know, kind of taking me under their wing per se. Um, but, but one character really stands out and that's Mike Dooley. Um, he had a company called action anglers for a lot of years and, um, a really a, an excellent fly fishing guide. He knew fishing, he knew rivers, he knew people and interacting with people and, and just what it took to have a good time out on the river. And I, I learned a lot from Mike, I mean, including some of the great pranks that he pulled on me and, <laughs> and, uh, stuff like that. But, uh, really, really a good guy. Nice. What, what was the, uh, what was the most memorable prank he pulled? Well, one of them, which was really a, turned into a great lesson for me, um, on steelhead fishing. Um, but, uh, you know, when I first started with him, we were, uh, working on the Deschutes river, and he uh, he was guiding this great group of guys from Louisiana. These guys were just awesome. Um, and uh, I was I was the bagger. I was the guy that rode down and set up the camp. Yep. And one night Mike comes to me and he says, "Rob, I I'm kind of embarrassed. I I screwed up. I I didn't pack dinner for tomorrow night. I don't have dinner in the <laughs> cooler." So he says, uh, I, I'd really love you to try and catch a steelhead tomorrow. So, man, I was so excited. I was like, yeah, that's a job I can do, yeah. you know. Um, so I packed up that, you know, they took off on their guide thing, you know, for the day. And and uh, I packed up that camp faster than I ever packed it up. And mm-hmm. I was setting out to, you know, go get a, get a steelhead. And this was a fall trip. It was like October, right? Yep. So it's cold, chilly morning. And I go to grab my waders, and Mike had grabbed my waders. Oh, <laughs> nice. So I've got this order to catch fish for dinner, but no waders. Oh, man. So um, it, it worked out really awesome. So I, there's this one particular run where there's this big rock in, the, in that run. And so you know what? There's always a fish somewhere around that. So I, I got my drift boat. You know, the shoots, of course, you can't fish out of the boat, right? So... Oh. I, I dropped the anchor and nosed the boat up onto that rock and hopped out on that rock, and unhooked my fly. And I kind of turned around 
to to check and make sure that the boat was where it was supposed to be. And when I turned around, my fly had dropped in the water. By the time I turned my head back around, I had a steelhead on. No way. And uh, wow. so it was, it was just one of those really memorable huh. um, lessons to start close. You know, yep. so many times with the spare rod, we start out, you know, casting a pile of lines. So, That's right. Yeah. That's right. One That's of the many shenanigans. Huh. That's a good one. Okay. Well, I got a little rapid fire round for you here. We'll, we'll get through the rest of these questions and uh, it shouldn't take long, but um so you mentioned uh, a little bit sled. It sounds like you have a sled. If you had to pick between, um, you know, a sled, a drift boat, or a raft, which one are you taking? Oh, that's tough. Um, I'm probably the drift boat just, uh-huh. just because you can use that most any day, most conditions, um, and they're nice to, to fish out of. You know, yeah. the raft's a little bit wetter and whatnot. So Cool. Yeah. That's probably the drift, though. That's a good, yeah, that's a good one. I, I asked Tom Larimer that same question. He he kind of struggled with it too, but he he went with the sled. So I uh, I don't have a sled, so yeah. I'd, I'd be picking between the uh, the other two. But no, that's good good to hear. What about um? So a spay casting tip. Do you have a quick little tip for somebody that's struggling with their spay cast? Yeah, sure. Um, so it all starts with a good anchor point, and it seems like so much of people's casts are. Um, they're going to be struggling with it and their alignment and power of the cast um, just simply because their anchor point isn't in the right spot. And um, people kind of, you know, they, they lose track of what they're looking at. They might be looking at the end of their line. They might be looking at their fly or these different markers. But if, if you just remember to get that fly within a rod's length of view, um, that that's where you want to start. Um, so that would be one simple tip that really can make your cast work so much better. Um, starting with that, um, can really, really make a difference. Nice. Okay. And, um, as far as thinking about a typical day, when you take a client out, are you typically doing like a half day or or a full sort of day on the river? Generally the full day, um, uh, for the most part, we do a couple half day shad fishing trips, just kind of a totally different thing. Our fisheries are either full day or, or multi days where we do you know, two, three, four, or five days uh, on the water. Okay. Okay. And, um, and do you have a typical, so I guess if you're fishing a, a full day, what, how many runs are you typically, do you think on average, are you, are you fishing during that day? Um, so you kind of break it down to maybe two or three runs in the morning, lunch, two or three runs in the afternoon. Kind of depends, you know, with the sled, we can get in a few more day, few more, um, pieces of water, uh, just because you're, you're moving between runs more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, those, that's kind of what I would count on. Okay. Um, you know, maybe up to half a dozen runs in a day. Um, sometimes more, sometimes less. If you're on a small stream, like small coastal rivers, you might have a lot more. Um, some days I have, you know, say I have just one client on a coastal river. I love hitting a lot of little pockets. Okay. Yeah. Just behind that rock, five casts. Okay. We're moving on, you yeah. know, and just hit this part of that run. And so we fish a lot of different stuff. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. As far as tips on finding good water, are you, it sounds like, I mean, obviously you know where a lot of the runs are now, but if somebody was new to it, uh, any tips, should they be focusing more on the upper ends of the runs, the lower ends of the runs, or do you think just covering the run? 
Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, when you fish a run over and over and over again for years, you you, you will generally find that most runs are going to have a sweet spot and you're going to catch most of your fish in that range or that sweet spot up or down a little bit, depending on the water level. Um, but when you don't know that, start at the top, work all the way through it, um, especially into that lip of the tail out, um, and, and start really high, you know, especially yeah. early in the morning or the water's been up a little bit, start with that first cast, like Mike Dooley taught me, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a short uh, length of line out, even just the sink tip out, just flip that out, kind of clear path as you work your way in there. Um, but reading water on a, you know, got a guy spend a lot of time in the wrong stuff, Yeah. either too fast, too slow, too deep. Um, walking speed water three to five feet deep, uh, with structure in it. And what I coach people to look for, or what I call steelhead funnels. And those are places where the current speed is too fast. Those fish are not going to be in those. And next to that, you know, you've got the right zone, the right, right speed of water. So if you have half the river is too fast, that other half is you know, in that walking speed water zone, that's what you're looking for. That creates a funnel that focuses the steelhead to a particular part of the river. And that's just going to make the odds of your success so much better versus say uh, you're standing on a, on a piece of water where it's even all the way across same depth for a long, long ways. Those fish could literally be anywhere in that entire river uh, there's no focal point. There's no current right. to focus them to a specific spot. So those would be some things, you know, when it comes to reading water and spending your time in the right places. That's kind of yep. how I'd look at it. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. And do you have a, just thinking about gear, uh, uh, just kind of a random question, but do you have a, a go-to piece of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be fly fishing gear, but something you kind of don't leave home without on your, any of your trips? Whether that's a, it sounds like you do a lot of Deschutes fishing, the, the longer trips, or if you do any traveling. Um, well, I mean, just <laughs> really simple stuff. Um, you know, I kind of have the mental checklist, but I, I've always got uh, a nipper and I have that on my waders. Mm-hmm. I've always got a hook file that's, that's, you know, in, in my waiter pocket. You know, those two things are critical to guiding. Your guy's got the perfect fly. It's catching fish and that hook's dull. Yep. You know, you're done. Yeah. Um, so those are a couple little things and just the right, the right traction, uh, for me is a big deal. Um, yeah. I haven't fallen in in a long time, but <laughs> I do, don't do want to start. Do you use a, uh, a waiting staff ever? I, I don't. Uh, I use those big spikes that Corkers makes. Um, it's their original big spike that, I mean, they're, you look at them, they're really aggressive and kind of scary to people, but <laughs> they grip like four wheel drive. Yeah. Um, they are, they're excellent. And I highly, highly recommend them. Cool. Unless you have a wood drift boat. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'll leave a, leave a link in the show notes out to those corkers too. I've, I've chatted with, uh, with them over the years or over the last year as well. So I'm, I'm hoping to do maybe yeah. a little, little bit of, um, a little bit of a season on, um, you know, some of the companies that are out there, you know, in, in the space. And, and I think Corkers is one that has a pretty cool product. And, well, the, the way the soul, you know, the soul removes is pretty unique, too. Absolutely. So, okay. And uh, and you mentioned the rod. So, basically, kind of the Sagex um, and the Rio. And you you're, uh, use Rio lines as well? 
Yeah. Yeah. Rio. And then, okay. Um, cool. I'll always like to get a feel for that. And then, and then the real actually, did you mention what was uh, the reels uh, you like to use? Uh, I use the domain 10 matches up really well on the 12 foot spray round. Okay. Okay. And I've got a couple of random questions for you here. Um, yeah, sure. I'm not sure if you're a big music fan, but do you have a favorite, uh, music type of music or band or anything you like to listen to? Uh, you know, kind of like when I need to relax, one of my, my favorites is good old Jimmy Buffett. Oh, cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Little, little Margaritaville. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That's all right. Cool. And, uh, and what about a, a drink? I'm not sure if you're, you know, the evening after a, uh, either a good or, you know, you get a big steelhead. Do you have a f- favorite beverage you like to uh, celebrate with? Yeah. Um, you know, we have that been out on the river and you got clients bringing all kinds of great stuff all the time. Oh yeah. Um, you know, from scotch to you name it. Um, but really one of my favorites is, uh, just a good old Oregon IPA. And uh, I have two favorites, um, the Bowie beer in, uh, from Astoria. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, there's one, uh, bent shovel IPA. It's right out of Barton, Oregon, uh, right up there, you know, down the street from where my folks still live. So kind of a, good stuff cool yeah i'll have to ch- check those out definitely the buoy yeah, i've had the buoy that's good i'm, I'm a big ipa or two yeah I've, uh, I've i've just started to dig into i always stayed away from like the double you know the double ipas and stuff because i always thought they were like going to be this extreme sort of thing but yeah i've been i've, right. been, I've been testing out a few and you know what they, they i mean they, i actually like the tape you know it's actually a little bit strong i guess it has right. more alcohol as well but i i kind of almost go with the double ipa now than i do just a regular it kind of grows on you, doesn't it? Yeah, something like that. Okay. So, cool. Well, that I had one other question I just want to check with you on, and it's more going back to that moment when you're all in. Do you remember that moment when you, I mean, you're a full-time guy now, I think. So, I mean, when you look back and you knew this was going to be your, your full-time uh, income, do you, do you remember that moment? Well, I had, um, it's kind of interesting, you know, when I went to college, I wrote a, you know, I wrote a business plan and my business plan was, you know, a guided fishing business. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I told you about working at Larry's Sports Center. We would go out and we'd fish. I, I worked the, the the afternoon to closing. And so me and my buddies would go and fish before work. And we'd always, I mean, we were really consistently catching steelhead. And so, you know, I had guys all the time, you know, how was the fishing? How was the fishing? And, you know, can I go along? I'm like, sure. Yeah, I'll take you. You never, you never caught a steelhead before? <laughs> sure. Let's go. Let's get you one. Yeah. You know, and, and then... <laughs> There was, there was a particular client that was like, or guy, it wasn't a client at that point. He was like, you know, I would pay you to do this. Hmm. And it, it was, it was kind of like one of those, you yeah. know, light bulbs went off in my head. Like, gosh, maybe I should, you, you know, kind of look at this. Huh. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good stuff. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, Rob, in the next six, uh, six to 12 months, do you have any, um, anything you want to note as far as new coming up for you? Anything that we can keep an eye out for? Yeah, we have a couple really uh, fun things um, uh, coming up. Uh, we have a, uh, a guest chef that's going to be with us on the Lower Deschutes. We're doing a uh, pre-salmon fly. And this year, depending on the snowpack, it might actually be perfect timing for a salmon fly hatch. Um, the guy is just an incredible chef, voted one of the best restaurants in Portland. Uh, he, his specialty is cooking over coals, and uh, we've had him down at uh, – at our coastal place before to cook for us. He's amazing. Um, so we're going to have him down on the 
the shoots for three days, uh, doing all the meals for us, spoiling us in that regard while we're catching some awesome trout. And then uh, have a really neat trip this year with uh, Dave Hughes, um, the author, writer, you know, that guy, great guy. When I was, um, I was editor of Fly Fishing and Time Journal magazine right after Dave. And so we, we correlated on a lot of things, really a fun guy, but a master of trout fishing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so Dave's going to join us on a three day float trip in June on the Deschutes river, kind of helping us, uh, helping folks kind of get a better understanding of matching the hatch and, you know, just un- unlocking those riddles of the hatch, uh, yeah. so you can be a better, better and more effective trout angler. That's awesome. Yeah. I had, um, Actually, I had Rick Hayfley on, you know, Hayfley and Hughes, um, but... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I had Hayfley on. He was really a really great guest. I'm trying to remember the episode, but it was in a, a recent episode. And then, um, and I have talked to Dave. I think he had some issues, maybe a complication with something, but I think he's doing better now. So I'm hoping to also get him. Well, it sounds like, yeah, he's going out with you, so he must be doing better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. He's uh, doing good. Good, good. So, yeah, so I'm hoping to have uh, Hughes, <laughs> Hughes on as well. There's so many. That's the challenge with this show. You know, there's so many great people out there. There's. I'm trying to get around and do my best to, to cover it. So um, so I'll keep working <laughs> on it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's that's about all I have for you. Um, as far as p- if people want to find you, so it'll be watertimeoutfitters.com is the best place. Yeah, that's that's great. Watertimeoutfitters.com. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you coming on. Definitely, um, we dug into some tips. I'm going to get this one out there pretty quick so people can, you know, I think we covered some winter steelhead stuff that's going to help uh, people get going. So, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, and we'll, we'll keep in touch. All right. All thanks right, thanks. A lot, partner. Okay, bye. All right. Bye-bye. So, there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 62 that's 62. If you want to uh, support the show, head over to wetflyswing.com slash support and uh, join this little micro movement. We're slowly building day by day, um, download by download. Uh, everybody is, uh, is, <laughs> is going for it here. So wanted to send a, uh, I think it's time again for the uh, emoji shout out. So if you're st- still hanging in, I'd love to see a keyboard head smash emoji. So uh, Google that one up if you don't know what it is and uh, take a look and send me something over on social to let me know you enjoyed the show today. Uh, Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to uh, maybe see you online or maybe on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.